Hello and welcome to The Naked Scarf. I'm Adam. And I'm Stephen. <laughs> Not Andy. Not Andy. Even though you are wearing a lovely wig and short dress, which is... Um, I know, later. For later. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, don't worry, Andy hasn't regenerated or left. She's having a housing crisis. Yeah, another one, but it is quite genuine. So, uh, to keep you all entertained, and so we don't disappear for another three months at a time, we're doing what I'm referring to as a virgin cutaway, in which myself and and Steve will be discussing the New Adventures range. So, uh, for those who aren't familiar with the New Adventures range, because there, I think there might be a few, uh, they kind of they they span off from the the Target novelizations, didn't they? Yeah, they've done the companion. What were they called? Companion Chronicles. Yes, there was companion. uh, the target, just in case, again, anyone doesn't know, the target novelizations were novelizations of Doctor Who stories that were before videos, uh, fans only access to the past. I always wanted to call them Taggit novelizations for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why I got this in my head as a kid that it was Taggit as a target. I was a weird kid. Or Tag Art. Tag Art. But, but obviously, this, they're not books about Scottish murders. So, um, Target novelizations. And, they, and uh, obviously, when the series ended, they, had, they published a few more. And then they had a moment of, well, we don't have any more Doctor Who stuff to publish. Why don't we publish original fiction? That's obviously um, simplifying what was obviously a complex process. So but we, we ended up with uh, Turlo and the Earthling Dilemma, in which Turlo takes on Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, and we had... Because uh, I think these were actually done in the, eight, in the 80s when they were just... These were the first experiments with New Who fiction. And there was the, the one starring Harry, Harry Sullivan's War... Which they later alluded to in the Virgin novels as well, in System Shop. Ah, okay, cool. They brought back Harry as an MI5 agent. Yes, they did, didn't they? Yeah, they did. And in, I think it was July or June 1991, let me just check. Uh, Ju- yeah, in June 1991, they released Timeworm Genesis, the first new adventure, which obviously starred the Seventh Doctor and Ace. Allegedly. And, uh, allegedly. <laughs> and then they published another 61 novels after that. In the range, all of which star, all, all of which except the last one, the Dying Days, which starred the Eighth Doctor, all the others starring the Seventh, making him technically speaking the longest running Doctor. Wouldn't Paul McGann's Doctor be longer in? Um, oh, possibly. In, possibly. in the, the the Eighth Doctor adventures, that the BBC published. And I'm trying to do maths in my head. Uh, I'm very certain he went for longer because the origin they originally ran for about six years. The new yeah. adventures and the. So you've got Eight nine, nine years total yeah. of Sylvester McCoy, technically speaking, sort of. Although yeah. by the end of the New Adventures, it could really cease to resemble Sylvester McCoy in any way, shape or form. Yes, yeah, that's, that's true. So I've got a list of topics to cover. Okay, fire away. The, what I refer to as the ace problem. Now, this this is my thing, with actually with a lot of spin-off fiction um, that focuses on the Seventh Doctor, and I include Big Finish and the BBC books as well. Ace as a companion. Now, I'm a big Seventh Doctor and Ace fan. It's one of my favourite periods, favorite, some of my favourite stories. But she's a character at the end of Survival that is quite obviously coming to her end as a companion. You know, because you compare her in Dragonfire and then Survival, she's, you know, she's changed, she's matured. And the fact is that if there'd been another series after the series 26, she would have definitely gone uh, two stories in. in yeah, inside about, yeah, yeah, six episodes. And that would have been fine. That would have been a good run for her. But of course, the new adventures come along and they, they, they want to keep their dot to audience they don't do anything that radical too early on so she stays now at the end of survival she must be what 18 19 probably about she's about yeah. 16 in Dragonfire. so yeah. and she's obviously they you always think they, these things roughly take place within the, a, a certain time frame but in the new adventures how she's written in those early novels 
it's radically, well, maybe not radically, but no one seems to quite agree on her age. It's like when Andrew Cartmel writes her in Warhead, she's obviously, I think, even referred to as being in her early 20s, and she reads like a, a young woman. But then someone like Mark Platt writes her in someone's Crimes Crucible. Crimes Crucible. Yeah. And she, she's saying things like, bog off. And yeah. it just doesn't quite... Work. Although Times Crucible was one of those early ones that was sort of based on a TV pitch, I think. Whereas, was that one pitched? The... Um, I think, yeah, I think he pitched Times Crucible as a sixth Doctor story with Mel, bizarrely, back in the day. Really? I can't and imagine it sort of that. And it's sort of one of those ideas that have been percolating around for a while. So mm-hmm. that was the other thing about the early New Adventures, is that you ended up with a lot of sort of, if not slightly rehashed TV ideas, then at least things that were sort of, had the TV show at their root. Yeah. Even Transit, bizarrely. Yes, uh, transit, which we'll get along to in in, in a moment. But because um, and because the thing about AC, then in Love and War she leaves, and then two three books later she comes back as, as Sigourney uh, Weaver in Aliens. Sigourney <laughs> Weaver, but even as even as space bitch Ace, there is still a problem that her her characterization just fluctuates a little bit between authors, some of whom obviously have old Ace very much stuck in the heads, and others who write it's like this card hook uh, card act. Yeah code hard killer and it's always this slight jarringness in her character and I think some writers write her very well Kate Orman always did I, I always think it would have been better just getting rid of her two novels into the new new adventures but just I, inventing a new companion straight yeah, think, away but I think they had the sort of they were they were desperate to, to keep the audience and not rock the boat too much no I, I don't understand why but it's even like now in like big finishes and, and things they keep writing more and more ace stories, and I just think she's a companion who needs an end. Yeah, and she doesn't. Well, biz- bizarrely, yeah, she's she's a companion. <coughs> actually, had her ending essentially on TV. I mean, survival is is the end of Ace's story, mm. and yet because of that sort of uncertainty in the spin-off media, she's ended up with about three or four different endings yeah. for her character. And she has so much mother issues. Yeah. The New Adventures <laughs> couldn't leave her mother issues alone. Which, and given they'd basically been sorted out in Curse of Fenric, I mean, not incredibly, but it was kind of hinted that, right, that's it with the mother issues. And then every other book, in, in, particularly on is like, he's going, oh, my mother! Oh. But I think that's partly a function of the writer sort of having to latch on to... Mm. Let's, let's be honest, I mean, they, they were basically children's TV characters, if slightly yeah. richer, family TV characters. Family, family TV. Family, it's not, it's family, not children's show, family, family. Family TV characters. Um... And trying to sort of add some layers of characterization to them. So inevitably you sort of latch onto the few sketched in areas of characterization you have and mm. try and build on them yeah. for the books. And that's basically Ace has mother issues I, and... Yeah, and the Doctor's a manipulative bastard. Yes, pretty much. I mean, because that, 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 I, I know I see, I completely understand what, what you're saying because obviously when you're writing a novel, particularly as they were aiming to make these things for a slightly older audience anyway, you've got to add more characterization than... Not the TV is a characterization light, but it's a very different way of writing yeah. characterization. You have to go more psychologically in de- in depth to an extent. I think in in in, in novel writing, well, you but, have to give the characters an interior life, which is yes. actually one of the very interesting things about the new adventures is that they very specifically in the writers' guidelines say said not to write any scenes from the point of view of the Doctor so that he remains mysterious. Earlier on, there are some. There are there definitely are a few, some, but but it's broadly speaking, it's something that they stuck to and it's something that's kind of informed the character of the doctor even to the, the present mm. day oh TV yeah show. i mean i mean that, that's something i also want to look at which is um what did the what have the new adventures contributed to the new series now obviously first off it's human nature yes. which was uh, if you're not aware was a um was a well probably the best 
or one of the best new adventures. One of the best, yeah. Um, written by Paul Cornell, uh, starring the Seventh Doctor and Bernice Summerfield, a character who we'll get onto more later, uh, as I'm going to be saying that a lot, I feel. But uh, apart from that, I mean, there's obviously the idea, the Doctor becomes very powerful in the new adventures. He, you know, I mean, it's very much taking the Seventh Doctor manipulative aspect and, and increasing it exponentially. To a degree, I think it was somewhat overstated. There are, I mean, there are a few of the, particularly the early books, where he's this sort of giant game player. But I think the, the later ones spent as much time subverting that image as they did playing mm. up to it. And actually the fact that they were subverting it kind of made people more conscious of it. So it became amplified in, in the readers' minds. But yeah, okay, so in the pit, or where, I think the, is it the pit it's, it's, where he engineers like an act of planetary genocide or something? I think so. I've never actually read the pit. I hear it's one of the worst ones. Everyone seems to really hate it. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I haven't read it, but I've read enough of the references to it that I think... I think he fails to prevent mm. a solar system getting obliterated or something, which is not not terribly doctorish, I suppose. But. <laughs> no. Does he then play the spoons while it's blowing up or something? <laughs> really, I'm just thinking of how, how bizarre could you, could you make the contrast between Sylvester McCoy's more clownish side and the Doctor's dark and yeah. Oh, I've just lost that mm. planet. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Keep sticking a ferret down his trousers. trousers as well. <laughs> Planet's blown up, ferret down the trousers. But, uh, yeah, I... I think he was he was fairly manipulative, particularly in those early ones. Mm. But as I say, that's interesting actually, the, 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 because I always think with, with the seventh, and I said big seventh Doctor fan, but I always feel sometimes, and we were talking about this earlier, certain aspects of his character, it's not what we would have seen if those stories had been made on TV. It would have been very different because Sylvester McCoy would have brought a different side to it. Now he was always interested in, in making the Doctor darker and and bringing out that aspect to him, but perhaps he wouldn't have gone quite as extreme as some of those new adventures yeah. do, and he would have, wouldn't have been quite so distant. And Callus, and well, no, Callus is a bit because he's very much a background character in some. Some he's almost yeah. barely there, but he. Just... Oh, well, yeah, I think in Birthright he's literally not there. He's off having an adventure in Iceberg. Yeah, he's with some Cybermen. Yes, what was the opening line of Iceberg written by David Banks? <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> it was uh, was it fuck you, just fuck you, mate, you fucking wanker. And, and, then, and then we're told that the biker was angry. <laughs> yes, it's just like... Well, you know, if he was in London, he might have been like a, a chirpy cockney kind of, ah, fuck you, apples and pears, braces. Go blimey flipping heck. Go blimey flipping heck. Ooh, ooh. That, that was the moment at which they decided that they couldn't put real-world swearing in, and so you ended up with the, what was it, cruck? Cruck. Crucking ooh. hell. <laughs> he was joining such things as Battlestar Galactica's Frack, Frack, and uh, I think Frack is slightly better. Farscape but... had one as well, which I can't remember. Oh lord, um, what was that? But it was they, something yeah. very similar to Frack, actually. In, in the annals of sci-fi swearing, <laughs> yes, yeah, oh yes, it's because the swearing really started with Transit. Now, Transit's an interesting one. It's by Ben Aronovich, obviously who wrote Remembers of the Daleks*. Very good Battlefield, which is interesting. In, I, yes. I have a fondness for Battlefield, but yeah. it's, it's kind of not very good in some ways. Even though it's from a favourite series, in particular amongst these, I think it's one, of those, it's one of those stories that's not get derailed into Battlefield. But it's one of those stories that's slightly hamstrung by the budget, so it's supposed oh, very to be a great sort so. of epic Arthurian adventure. And actually, Transit is very much like the the ambition that that clearly went into the Battlefield script. It's, mm. It feels like it was meant to be a TV story, or it was a sort of half formed pitch for a TV story, because it has it has quite a limited. Or you can see how it could have as a TV story quite a limited number of settings, and you can see the the, the monsters maybe looking like something out of nineties Red Dwarf mm. in in the actual in a TV version. But obviously, the scope of it was massively expanded. 
And it included yeah. a lot of cyberspace. <laughs> yes, cyberspace, ah, cyberspace. But transit's interesting because I even once read, a, I think something in SFX in the 90s where they're doing like the worst things in science fiction and transit was like one of the lowest or the highest things as being... bizarre because it's a really, really good novel. I thought that because I only read it like in the last few months and I thought, because I was expecting, I got it really cheaply and I was expecting something pretty awful. I thought, oh, this could be fun, it's so <clears> bad. And I read it and I realised that some things people were saying about it just weren't true. Like, uh, the Doctor gets drunk and has sex with with the no, grand great-great-granddaughter well, of the Brigadier. And he I'm does like, get drunk. Yeah, he gets drunk, but he wakes up in his clothing. Yeah. And so it's quite obvious he didn't. I don't I mean, know where people... It, it's actually so incredibly tame when you look at sort of modern yeah, Doctor incredibly Who. tame. When, when you look at the, you know, the Doctor dances or something with Captain Jack, yeah. who, by the way, is very clearly a descendant of, of Chris Quedge. Shvay, however you pronounce it. Yes, of, of, of Chris and Roz. Yeah, yeah. I, do, I suppose he is actually, isn't he? Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, Captain Jack is, is almost explicitly from the same sort of gloriously uh, omnisexual future as Chris mm. and Roz. And it's, it's one of those things that the TV series is clearly inspired by. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, but, that's uh, true. Yeah. But yeah, but Transit, really good. I was like, oh, this would have made actually a really good Doctor Who story. It probably would have had to lose the line about the semen taste. Yes, it does. What, what was that line? <laughs> You're really good on these lines. It was, it was something about eating cola nuts to take away the taste of semen or something. Which And also, people, I remember in this worst off list, it was because it featured the word fuck. It didn't mention the semen line. Yeah. But once you've actually got the semen line, it's far more shocking than any use the word fuck. <laughs> You're like, did I, did I just... Did, it's incredibly did, jarring. It's, I think... It's it's basically the it's the new adventures adolescence essentially. Mm. They're, they're so desperate in those early novels to appear sort of dark and serious and adult that they they sort of resort to swearing and and you know tits and shagging essentially. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot. There's novels. a lot of sex and there's a lot of cyberspace. It, yeah. It's ha- it's amazing how nineties they are because there is so much cyberspace appears in almost. Yeah. Every there's a lot of William Gibson in in them. There's always yeah. there's always people jacking in and plugging up yeah. and, and and downloading and whatever. And it, it it's almost it almost comes its own cliche in the new adventures. It's like you could do a drinking game of get get take a shot every time somebody mentions <clears throat> cyberspace or does something in cyberspace. And even in the historical set ones, you'd probably get quite blasted by the fifth chapter. I think in the dying days, Lance Parkin actually deliberately wrote in a litany of the cliches of the early new adventures so there's a sensitive young gay man who gets killed and there's a there's the doctor has breakfast with a prostitute in a cafe and talks about the nature of time or something (laughs) yes that does sound very familiar actually and and this is the interesting about the 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 new adventures is obviously there were they were, they were the only rip, apart with the comic strip as well in, in dwm but they were like the only new dot two fiction being produced and they they were aimed far more at just a fan market, and they were also acknowledging the fact that in some ways that because the program had been owned for twenty six years, there were a lot of adult fans, so they tried to be more adult. And at first, more adult was like we were saying a lot of swearing, sex, and tits. And I, I think as the, the range goes on, it gets more confident, and it can it gets more it. confident. It settles into a groove, and it becomes a lot more mature. Mature, in that yeah. Adult becomes the characters have an emotional life. I think the series really starts to come into its own when Bernice Summerfield comes into the range. Yes. Just to quickly add, that I think the trouble is they start being adult in the way that Torchwood was adult in its first two series. Yes, we went, the, the sort of yeah. and, and not like it was in say Children of Earth, but more like kind of like yeah, Cyber sex woman. aliens and Cyberwoman <laughs> and and tits and and it's very much that kind of idea of you know. Whereas that it, it was unfortunate that Sarah Jane Adventures was a more mature spin-off, <laughs> and that was on CBBC. You know, and, and it is the, the new Adventures do suffer from that. That doesn't mean those early books aren't necessarily good or readable, but it is, you're very aware it's a bit embarrassing in 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 an odd way. But yes, Bernie Summerfield, possibly the one real long-lasting legacy 
I, th- I think there were a few Legacy yeah, well, series, but Benicio but... Field is the one that everyone refers to. Isn't it her 25th anniversary, 20th anniversary? She year? appeared in Love and War, which would have been... Yeah, 90, 20th. 20th anniversary. 92. 92, yeah. So they're, they're bringing her back for... Well, they're, they're remaking Love and War as an audio play to yes. celebrate the anniversary, which yep. is rather sweet. Um, for those who don't know, Bernice Summerfield was a companion introduced, I think, in the seventh or eighth book of the range. Who was she? Was an archaeologist, and she was she was older than age. She was like a, a grown up woman, and she got drunk a lot and had sex with people. But she was more like people she was thought, essentially the sort of person that um, that Paul Cornell would hang out with down the pub. I imagine, yes, yeah. you know, a, a, a grown woman who. And when River Song first appeared, people were like, "Is it Bernie Summerfield? Because she's an archaeologist." And there is. You can draw a bit of a line, though I think there are a lot of differences. An arc, but if you like. An arc, you can draw an arc between the two. But there is kind of, I can see that, both being slightly older women and... They're slightly um, different characters. They are different. Very different characters. But, but you can still, I think you it's you can draw a connection, I think, yeah. to, to an extent. But and, and she's since appeared in her own spin-off and uh, Big Finish do regular audio plays with her. So, you know, she's not like a huge character, but she's kind yeah. of ticking along nicely as her own thing. Yeah. Which is, you know, which is very impressive when she appeared in the Doctor Who spin-off novel. Yeah, you know, she was the didn't first. They, didn't they write something into the sort of the, the later audio dramas where she stops aging or something? The, Quite possibly. The, the classic conceit of, of um, long-lasting characters is that you can't really have them age, like Sherlock Holmes and James Bond and what have you. So Bernie Summerfield has basically been about forty-five now for the last ten years, I think. Yeah, well, I, I think. guess. But didn't Sherlock Holmes does age? He just just sets because because. He's given a, an adventure in 1913, 1914 by Conan Doyle, just before World War I. Oh, sure. Holmes does age, but in, in, the, in the broader strokes of things, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sherlock Holmes remains perpetually about 40, which yeah. is wrong. Sherlock Holmes should remain perpetually about 28. Let's not get into that. <laughs> That's another podcast that we <laughs> yes. have yet to do. We'll get on to Sherlock later. Yes. By the way, I just want to point out Steve has brought wine to the podcast, and he never brings any drinks, so... Um, We'll be having a lot more podcasts with Steve in the future, I'm saying that now. But yeah, I mean, because you get Bernice, obviously, is the biggest uh, spin-off from that. For me, and I was saying this earlier, I think the range really, really gets into its own groove and gets really comfortable with the, uh, let's see what number it is, with Book 39, Original Sin, where they you introduce, uh, I'm not going to say the surnames, because... I'm not Ros sure. Ros Forrester and Ro- Chris, Chris Quedge. Yeah, Ros, uh, Ros and Chris, who... Um, or Shvay. We're not sure about Chris's surname, um, but anyway, well, it, Chris. it's, it's a running gag, isn't it? It's, it's pronounced <coughs> Quedge or Shvay, I forget, but mm. one of them. But anyway, but anyway it, these two characters, and after they join, Bernice li- leaves uh, a few books later. Well, actually, about eleven books later, but he was counting. Um, and and the series itself just. It just really hits the groove. Like the writers are comfortable now; they know what they're doing. They know what they I can do. I think that was around the time that Rebecca Levine became editor of the Range. Mm-hmm. Not not to diss Peter Darvill Evans, obviously, but um, yeah, the, 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 I think some of the writers kind of refer to this as the, the Levine Golden Age, where um, she was in charge of the Range, and they're, they're, they're just spectacularly good. You get the, the I think it's the Psy Powers art kicks in. Yes, in that. yeah, um, and it's around that time the cover design changes. And I always sort of think of that as the fulcrum of the Range. That bit when, um, and you that she brings in uh, some new writers as well. You get Lance Parkin, you get um, Russell T Davis, Russell T Davis, who I think I believe I'm right in saying had already written for TV. Then we should probably look that up. Look, yes, look he, up he, he, he was writing up like uh, uh, writing up writing. Um, yeah, was he it the sure, brand. 
I think it was the ground. I think he would have done uh, Dark. Oh no, what was it called? Uh, Century Fl- Falls. Yeah, he definitely done his TV shows. I'm sure he'd done. So and yeah, I think he, w- he was probably working on Queer as Folk. If I'm, and I think that's yeah, how he that would have yeah, yeah, because because Damaged Goods which was his one range, which features a family called Tyler. Um, Damaged Goods is read Damaged Goods. Nineteen ninety six. A slightly dialed up and more adult version of Russell T Davis's vision for Doctor Who. There's so much of that that comes to pass in in his series. Mm. There's the the tower block. There's the family called Tyler. There's a uh, there's a woman who is consumed by a machine, which is quite interesting because that seems to be a recurring motif in his stories. Yeah. There's what, what's her name? Miss. I haven't actually read it because it's really difficult to get a hold of. It's like one of the ones that are really expensive because he wrote it. I'll give you a lend. Oh, good. I think I've got a spare copy. <laughs> um, not the original just the there, there is a there is a character I forget the name but it's a, a and actually one of the scenes from Damaged Goods turns up in um, The Second Coming as well mm. bizarrely where the okay, woman yeah. poisons her family or tries to poison her family um, by putting rat poison in the mashed potato oh yeah and yeah, is, the, is the directly coming, lifted yeah. from uh, that, but, I mean, um, fair enough because Damaged Goods probably had a, a few thousand of, yeah, and, and uh, well, the, 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 there's yeah, there's quite a few elements of the books that recurred in the um, or that mm. recurred in the new TV series, which is I find fascinating. But yeah, in is it Dark Season or Century Falls where Miss oh, Dark Season? That was one I was trying to think of. Where which one of them is it? Where the, the woman gets sort of eaten by the computer? Like That's Dark Season. Yeah, Dark Season, and then it, the same thing happens in Damaged Goods, and then the same thing happens again with. Um, the woman in the one with the big side man, next Doctor. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah, that's true. Actually, God, because I, I, I've seen Dark Season not for years, and I've obviously seen Next Doctor, but I never made the connection. But oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's a motif. Motif. Yes. Uh, trope. Maybe. Mm. Uh, where were we? Chris but, and Ros. Yes, I, I think this is series. Around. I hope you're going to edit this back into some. No, God no. God no. It's far more fun like this. It's going to be like a Stephen Moffat script. <laughs> Bouncing around in time and space. Tell, tell, tell you what, if anyone actually can edit this into a coherent uh, chronological order, you'll get a special prize. You'll be a sexy photo of me in a wig. My wig? Uh, yeah. I'm absolutely, definitely wearing? <laughs> yes, I'm absolutely, definitely wearing that wig. But no, it's far more fun just, just doing it like this. So Chris, Chris Quedge and Ros Forrester mm-hmm. are adjudicators from the... 30th century, 31st Which century. Which is, of course, for those of you who have seen Colony in Space, is what the Master pretends to be. Mm, yes. That, it's a and dead also reference. It's, it's the era in which the mutants is set, I think. Yes, because the they're of part Earth. of the Earth yeah. Empire, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, the the adjudicators of the Earth Empire. It's actually one, one of the really fascinating things that what Peter Darville Evans's lasting legacies for the series was the, uh, the future history document that he created, mm. which was pretty much the first... Well, one of the first times that anyone had tried to actually put Doctor Who into a coherent timeline. I, I really love the sense of history you get, where you have the sort of the early colonial efforts in something like Lucifer Rising, and then you have the overcities in uh, Original Sin. You get sort of the fall of the Earth Empire in uh, Sovile Sin, yeah, so was, leading into the um, actually I think the so, Federation in in Legacy. I think Sovile so Sin, which obviously has a bit of a thing of it features the death of a very important character and. Um, I'm just trying to spoil it in case, but but Ben Aronovich a had writer's block and then his computer crashed, so they they actually couldn't publish it. And then obviously they had to publish the books after, which revealed this major spoiler. And it was the last new adventure they ever released because because Kate Orman came on and helped, 
and it's actually I got it recently and it's actually really good oh, I, I wasn't, I wasn't ex- sure what to expect but it's actually and given I hadn't read much of the previous Psy Powers arc I've read a bit more since I thought it was incredible I thought this is amazing and it's one of the hardest books to get hold of which is a real shame yeah it's a great pity. I mean, it's, what it, it, one of the things that genuinely baffles me is that they haven't bothered to reprint them. I think they're going through. There's been rumours. They keep being rumours, but they're I doing. Seen... They're doing the eighth Doctor ones, and the, they're doing the BBC books that came later. Mm. Um, they're, they're reprinting them, and you can print on demand. I think I'll get them as e-books. Mm-hmm. But the um, new adventures are still tied up in licensing rights. You can still get the eighth Doctor ones as, as e-books. I've seen them. Yeah, but Old yeah, because I think they're releasing them sort of by author. Yes, it's like you can get some Lance Parker. I think you can get some Kate Orman ones as well. But it's, it is such a shame because I think there's some great stuff there that yeah. would go down. I mean, the trouble is, is some of the more adult content now. I think they'd be a little bit twitchy about yeah, releasing it. I think the BBC guard the brand in a way they'd never guarded it. I previously. think even in Human Nature, when they republished it on the BBC website briefly, they blanked out certain offensive words from 1914 or whenever it was set. Uh, um, yeah. So yeah, I, I think the BBC would be very, very touchy about republishing a book with Doctor Who on the cover that includes the word semen taste. Yes. <laughs> sorry, David Bank. Uh, no, no. Sorry, Ben Aronovich. Ben Aronovich, but you're not getting those royalties. <laughs> but I don't think they'd publish uh, David Bank's one either. To, to be honest, uh, I don't think Ben Aronovich is particularly bothered because he's uh, he's sitting pretty on the um, Rivers of London novels. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, that's fair enough. Let's talk about uh, a couple of the interesting plays with continuity they did in the series. I'm thinking of The Sixth Doctor, and uh, in the New Adventures it turns out that the Seventh Doctor sacrificed the life of The Sixth Doctor to the eternal death, if, Yeah. so he could be born as Time's Champion. There's an but, awful lot of that sort of Babylon 5 style mythologising. It's, it's actually quite funny, you can see what sci-fi TV shows the authors were watching yeah. during the 90s. But it's, it's an interesting idea, I'm never quite sure about it, because... I, I always quite like the idea that the Sixth Doctor just tripped and banged his head because sometimes you sometimes you're going to die saving the universe, sometimes you're going to die of food poisoning or clumsiness. You know, no, no, not everyone gets a perfect death. It's very much this idea that the Sixth Doctor is locked away in the Seventh Doctor's head, as an, and, and does actually come out in Head Games by Steve Lyons, yeah. which is also another interesting story because it uh, it postulates that the, the Seventh Doctor uh, mentally manipulated Mel to leave him because Ace was sent from Fenric and he realised he had to start being Time's Champion now I, I okay no one likes Mel I, I, I appreciate that I understand that Mel's but quite good she was Me- good Mel is better than I think than people give her credit for yes but for me that leaving scene she has in Dragonfire is so lovely and so nice and I really genuinely think I think Dragonfire is actually very underrated but I think it's such a great scene that I, I, I'm never quite sure how I feel about that darkening up of it like it was all his mental manipulation because I I don't know if it needs that. Yeah. I don't know if it adds anything to that in in the long run. I think it's probably those two facts that make people think that the, the Seventh Doctor is this terribly manipulative character. But it's, it's one of those feedback loops. It's only ever hinted at in the novels, I think. This is it, because Paul Cornell those... first in it, and he said, oh, it's just something I thought of, but I always, it was always supposed to be like a dream, so people weren't sure if it was real the, or not, the trouble and everyone with, ran with it. The trouble is, if you write anything down in black and white, there's this sort of fanboy feedback loop yeah. where... People say, "Oh, he said that," and then it becomes true, and, and then someone else will write a book referring back to, to it, and yeah. it becomes more and more true. And because, yeah, because Head Games pretty much confirmed it when, because various fictional things are coming real, and the, the Sixth Doctor 
comes out of the Seven Doctor's head and basically attacks him. And the Seven Doctor, it's hinted that has to brutally murder the Six to carry carry <laughs> on. A bit much, yeah, it's a little bit. I mean, it's a very good book. I seem to remember. I haven't yeah. read it for years, but it's still like you quite, think maybe this is taking fun. it a bit too. Uh, I think I, I think it's particularly jarring because it features the Sixth Doctor and Mel, and it's got a big <laughs> picture of Mel in her sort of polka dotted eighties costume on the front. And it's in, and then the mm. doctor wearing a question mark jumper, and it's sort of the, the, the shift in tone between that yeah. sort of slightly more innocent era of family TV programming and, and, and uh, this darker, this darker new darker take. But um, yeah, where were we? Christian, Chris and Ros. Yes, Chris and Ros. Um, just it brought it was when the series. I think that's where the book best books come from. Yeah, a lot of the best books they just they just find their groove completely, mm. and they found. Uh, yeah, Lance Parkin, who I think is one of the best of the novelists, alongside Cornell and, and, and Lance uh, Miles. And I have to, I'm, I've, I've always really enjoyed Kate Oldman's yeah, stuff yeah. as well. I think she's good. Yeah, and, and Lance Miles before he went completely mad, mad or bitter at any rate. <laughs> he's a little bit bitter. Come on, yeah, I suppose I guess. But uh, <laughs> I mean, no, I think he, he's a really interesting writer. He's got always oh, got some interesting stuff to say. But no, his stuff is. I think his stuff really takes off in the in the eighth. Yeah, he's not really. He's not much. He's got one book in the yeah uh, Christmas on the Rational Planet, which is which is an interesting one. But it's sort of half formed. It's not quite. Mm. It's not who you'd recognise necessarily as a. But Lance Parkin is is definitely very good. I'm sorry if my my voice seems to be going during this. I think Uh, you need to lubricate it with some wine. Yeah. Anyway, Lance Parkin. um, You you just asked the question off air, and it's worth repeating. Code Fusion, which is technically a missing adventure, but it teams the Fifth Doctor and Adric and Nissa and Tegan with uh, the Seventh Doctor and Chris and Roz. And I think it's it reads like like a new adventure. I think. I mean, it's very well written. It's very well done. But you know, it doesn't. It's an interesting one because I think it, it is very consciously it's a missing adventure because the vast majority of it is written from the perspective. Of the fifth Doctor and the mm. seventh Doctor only really comes into it late in the day. Yeah. So, but at the same time, I always get a bit of a new because of what happens in it. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, very. I I get very much a new adventures vibe from it, but I, it's difficult to. It was phenomenally productive as well, Lance Parkin, in those last few years because he do something like four novels and. Yeah, he also did the the Gallifrey Chronicle. No, no um, the history. The history. Oh yeah, one, the history of the, of the universe. The universe. That, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know what he was taking at the time, but. Enthusiasm. Enthusiasm, <laughs> yes. But what was it? Just War, um, Cold Fusion, Cold Fusion uh, The Dying Days, yeah. and the other one. The other one. Yeah. The History of the Universe. Yeah. But no, he's definitely good. I mean, him, Ben Aronovich, Kate Allman, Paul Cornell. Which is not no, to say that the other ones weren't perfect. I no, there's like some. David A. McIntyre's ones were very, very good. He's yeah. good. Um, All Consuming Fire, where the Doctor teams up with Sherlock Holmes fight. and fights H.P. Lovecraft monsters, is fantastic. That's Andy Lane. Yes. I think, yeah, and that's that's that's, that's Jim actually, Mortimer as well. Jim Mortimer, fantastic yeah. ones. And you know, so yeah, I mean, there are other writers beyond the ones we're talking about. And there are, what's your least favorite new adventure? Oh, now you're putting me on the spot. I can. I'm just trying looking for the name of mine. I can tell you mine because I never finished it because I just got bored with it. Um, Shadow Mind. I I started it. I don't think I read Shadow Mind. I think. I, well, neither did I. I, I literally. It's one of the few times it's happened to me. I got, but I got like half a, a couple of chapters in, and I was just bored. In a way, I've never been bored. You know, I've read bad dot two novels, but I've always kept going. Pop back to the list, and I'll, yeah. I'll tell you mine. It would probably be something. It might even be Zampa. 
Zampert. I don't think I've read that. Zampert was Gareth Roberts one. And Gareth Roberts really, really came into his own in the Missing Adventures yeah, range. absolutely. His fourth Doctor and, and, and Romana too. Has a new book out now. Shana, yes, right? which, <laughs> yes, which uh, I've, my flat, Ben, my flatmate, has gotten me the copy from the library, so I'm looking forward to reading that. Yeah. But, I think um, very but well. Zampert, I don't think he ever quite gelled with the, the tone of the new adventures. And I think he said no, as much it, himself. He, even in his other, his, his, I think, his I think early his, ones as well. I think his first never one, quite... which was the highest science that that worked mm. reasonably well but I, I just think and actually there's another element that popped up I think Bubble Shake was something in, in the highest science and <laughs> okay. that popped up in the Sarah Jane adventures yeah. but Zampa just left me a bit cold it wasn't yeah it wasn't mm. quite right <laughs> it's not right not right but there are a few I haven't read so I haven't I haven't read The Pit which I'm told is yeah I almost want to read it because everyone it does come up on the bottom of so many lists Mm. People were just like, no, no, it's terrible. Which always makes me want to read something. It's like, but they also added a lot to the mythology of, and this is something that's sort of really prevalent in the new series, the mythology of Gallifrey. I think there's this sort of running notion, there's, there's, there's the gods of Gallifrey, who are sort of meant to be Eternals, I think, who take on the yes, but personas It's interesting you say they reference that in the new series, because I'd actually say the new series is a lot less Gallifrey mythology than the old. To a degree, but there's there's a sort of a certain undercurrent to it, I think. Possibly, okay. I don't know. The, the, the idea of the sort of the time wars as great mythical beings, but only in the sense of the time war. I think that's the only thing that we really ever see about Gallifrey in the context of the new series. Well, I th- I, well it's, it's, it's interesting because I actually find Gallifrey quite boring. Well, yeah, there is a there is a bit of a disconnect between the, the time wars as seen in the new series when they turn mm. up in. Um, this is really embarrassing, but I'm forgetting. The end of them. time. The end of time. It's fun to forget that. We all try <laughs> and forget. When they, when they turn up in the end of time, I like the end of time. I like I like Timothy Dalton spitting as. You're as definitely coming back to the end of time then, because somebody <laughs> will need to defend that when we talk about it. Good. I, it's James Bonder's Rassilon, for Christ's sake. <laughs> well, yes, that's good, but nothing else around it is. But anyway, in in that episode, you see the the Time Lords as being these sort of. God-like beings, and and the, the, the um, in besides the, Roger Moore would have made a better wrestler. In saying. the <laughs> there's, there's a mental image, um, which was the episode with the master. This is really bad. Last of the time was <laughs> no, the one yes, be- that was no, the one before it. Utopia, no, the sound of drums. Yes, sound of <laughs> drums. When you get the sort of Gallifrey flashback sequence, and. Um, and you see this sort of vision of the Time Lords as these majestic sort of gods mm. of the cosmos, which is really nothing like they were in the original series, except maybe but the war games. It is interesting, to be fair. Yeah, that's true. But to be fair, uh, David, uh, the Tenth Doctor does actually say, I try and remember them as I want to remember them, not as they were. So I think that, they, that's they, they an do, element of the Doctor being a bit misty-eyed. So, you know, these sort of grand panopticon galleries where Rassilon's spitting venom at the Time Lord Seri Branks of Time Lords. That's something that only really shows up in Lungbarrow for the first time, I think. But to be fair, it would have shown up in the original series if they had the budget. You know, yeah. they, they write about the... You see the Panopticon, and yes, it's obviously a BBC studio, but that's because they could only afford a BBC studio. But I think one of the things that one of the things that's interesting about the new adventures, I don't, I don't want to say they wrote for a movie budget, because that's, you know, obviously ludicrous. You don't you know, write books with a movie in mind, but they, they conjure up mental images that are far grander than anything we were able to get in the series. And I think that's informed the new series the sort of the movie like scope of it mm. the, the the grand visuals but isn't that just having a bigger budget and at least being able to do more on what they've got to a degree but I, I think that the new adventures are, and the BBC books as well were the first Doctor Who fiction to sort of express the potential 
Mm. Of it, their, their, their Doctor Who as it should have been rather than as it actually was. What was it they, they were said on the back? Adventures too, too broad and deep for the small screen, and too much swearing as well. That too. Um, yeah. It's actually interesting you brought that up because I just remember something that always irritated me a little bit with the new adventures is it's the whole the way they're bringing things like the Loom because it, I, I can't help but feel the idea Gallifreys <laughs> are just born by looms and and or sterile was just a desperate fanboy attempt to go look the doctor definitely hasn't stuck his penis into anything he probably doesn't even have one no penis nope nope he's, he's not like, interested he's like an action nope. man down there yes pretty much <laughs> and I just can't help but feel that whole loom thing came from a desperate attempt to reduce to, to say screw you I know he, he I know he travelled his granddaughter but she wasn't really his granddaughter but I think Ooh. wasn't, wasn't some, oh. sort of the point of that to say, I mean, the, the, something of the. You, did, have you read Lungbarrow? No, because again, it's Cause the, quite the difficult point, to get The home. whole point of Lungbarrow is that the Doctor reintroduces shagging to this sterile society. Oh, okay, I didn't realise that. By, by Br- so this is, this is, Ignore this is, my previous comments. This is this is a classic thing of um, of the sort of the, the, the misconception of the new adventures that people traded in hearsay mm. and misunderstanding. So the point of uh, of of Lungbarrow is that yes, Gallifrey is this sterile dead society. Mm. But the Doctor brings vitality back to it, bizarrely through Leela and Andred. <laughs> well, <laughs> you would, wouldn't you? <laughs> the least romantic couple <laughs> in yes, the of television. Possibly the worst. I don't know. Are they the worst romantic couple or are Billy and Delta the worst romantic couple in Doctor Who? I can never it's, decide. It's hard to say. But... Um, okay, well, in that case, I must apologize for my previous comments. Like I said, Lung Barrow, again, is quite difficult to get hold of and I haven't had a chance to. Yeah. I was thinking more the ones that well, I'd read. Um, but it's, it's an interesting example of one of those things where the, the New Adventures takes... Something basically absurd. Why Leela and Andrew hook up on mm. Gallifrey because they needed to write out Louise James, <laughs> and then conjures a story and all this sort of mythology and bolts it into a uh, a sort of coherent mythology. Mm. Yeah. If, if you read Lungbarrow and then go back and watch uh, Invasion of Time, it still looks a bit daft, but you can sort of at least describe some sort of coherence. They, they, uh, uh, another example of that is when they build up to the Seventh Doctor's regeneration. That is very well done, actually. And they make it a lot more sort of poignant. Because there's actually. the whole thing, isn't it, that he made a deal with death, and that death is basically like, you'll, you'll, you'll die, die and it'll be pointless. Your death will be pointless and alone, and it doesn't matter what you plan for. And that's really nice, because the, his, his death in, in the TV movie was always a little bit silly, to some extent, or at least seemed like oh, I didn't bother checking the scanner. I watched a hell of bullets, but of course, it's not the bullets that killed him; it's Grace. Yes, so the but worst it, Doctor ever. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think I ranted about the TV movie. How she hasn't been sued by medical malpractice is a is a miracle itself. It is a pointless, you know. It does seem a pointless death for such a powerful character, but it adds a lot of poignancy if you take into account what the new event, how the new adventures were, were preparing for it. I mean, that's one of the reasons Savala Sin is so great because he thinks he's going to die, and Death appears and goes, "No, no, you'll be even more." alone and pointless when it happens yeah although a slight problem was that because of publishing schedules all those books came out after the tv movie and actually i first started collecting the new adventures in earnest Mm. when i'd read a few of them in the sort of in the the 90s and then um i think happy endings came out a few months before the tv movie and i sort of naive fool as i was not really keeping up with doctor who magazine saw the cover and thought happy endings this is clearly an ending. This leads into the TV movie and Reddit and had absolutely no idea what was going on. Uh, Happy Endings is the fiftieth uh, in the in the series book in the series, and it's Bernice's wedding, and it is basically if you've never had a new adventure before, then it 
It's, you it's, wouldn't understand the thing that was going on. It's one long continuity reference, basically. It's one long continuity wank. Yes. Pretty much. But yes, because it's interesting, because I, I was saying to you earlier, uh, I, I've always wondered if anyone became a fan of this TV series through the books, and I didn't think they had, but you actually did, did you yeah. were saying. I'd read a few of the Target novelizations in the local library and, you know, in between Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe or whatever. Um, and I'd seen a couple of episodes because a friend of mine had some of the videos. I nearly said DVDs then, which would have been... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I'm, he had I'm, some of the Betamax. I'm, I'm showing my age here. It was a City of Death, I think, and or possibly Caves of Androzani or Curse of Fenric. I forget which, but one of the, one of the videos... Um, and then I picked up from another friend the first four um, new adventures, which are completely unrepresentative of the rest of the range. Yeah. But I sort of dipped in and out over the over the sort of nineties, and then really started collecting them in earnest with actually the ironically the last few new adventures, which meant that I had to run around scouring. Um, but it does mean that I have a very very well read copy of the Dying Days, which is falling <sighs> apart at the seams. That's it. There are because of when they were published. There are certain books that are very hard to get, and it's all the last ones. Mm. It's like I, I say, I've seen happy endings go for about forty quid in secondhand bookshops, yeah. and because that's where because my, my thing was slightly similar to yours. I got into Dot Two. I started getting into Dot Two about the thirtieth anniversary, but I, I didn't get heavily into it until a few years later. I, I still when I started really buying the videos and getting it and reading the magazine, I was like, oh, there's these range of books. And somehow, because this would have been not long before the TV movie came out, so the, the New Adventures were at least 50, 55 books in, in, I managed to find the first one uh, by John Peel, who I did wonder if it was the Radio 1 DJ, because <laughs> I was young and confused. I didn't know he wrote Doctor Novelization. He didn't, because there's not one reference to the Doctor playing a record at the wrong speed at any moment. Um, but I managed to find the first one, Time on Genesis, and yeah, you're right, it's completely unrepresentative what, what happens, and it's actually not very good either. At the time, I was like, it's new Doctor Who fiction, wow, it's making continuity references that I understand. And it some was, of which were wrong. Some of which were wrong. Ace was <laughs> never in Paradise I think Towers. in the first few pages we have naked ace making a wrong continuity no, reference no, knowing knowing what fans are like actually it's amazing that <laughs> there wasn't a mass book burning of the first um, new adventure nowadays god can you imagine what gallifrey base would be like now if they did if they did that you know oh. wrong one it'd be like actually, if, if you want a metaphor for sort of people's misconceptions in the new adventures were probably largely based on the fact that a whole generation of fanboys Picked up Time Worm Genesis, read the first few pages, and there's Naked Ace remembering being in, in Paradise Towers. <laughs> they were just like, what a load of rubbish. Yeah, that might actually genuinely be it as well. They were just like, no, you can't get it right. But as you pointed out, Lance Parkin did explain that 20 years later in a different book range. <laughs> so, you know, it's all got sorted in the end. Oh, uh, fandom. Yeah. But some of the books that made continuity references, that, or that built their stories around continuity references, were great. There's um, David McEntee's First Frontier is one of my favourites in the range, I think. I don't think I've read that one. Is it's, it's where the master comes back? I was going to keep that a secret. Oh, well. <laughs> so, let's try that again. David, uh, David no, McEntee. No, I just think that. I can't be at the stage. Uh, but, um, yeah, that's the one where the master comes back and regenerates into Basil Rathbone, <laughs> which is rather marvellous. But it's it's a great, fun little sort of run around with... Um, mm. saying run around cheapens it a bit, actually. It's it's a it's a good adventure based around sort of Roswell X Files type stuff, and then the master turns up, yeah, which is good. Is, yeah, and yeah. Bernie makes jokes about his uh, tissue compression eliminator being a, uh, a slightly penis substitute. Shaped, yeah. Yes, <laughs> uh, poor Anthony. Um, yes, it's. Uh, 
Actually, I think he regenerates by getting shot by Ace, which is quite... <laughs> this is the thing, actually. That, that's something else that's interesting, particularly with Ros, Ros, and Chris and well, Ros, Ros and Chris as well. There is reference to the Doctor having like a gun room, which actually does tie in with the gunfighters, where he goes, I've got a marvellous collection of weapons. I love the gunfighters. It just pisses on so much in the, what is now the established Doctor thing of, I would never pick up a gun! And the, and the gunfighters is going, I have a marvellous collection of weapons. In, 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 and in the new adventures as well. In terms of he, Wang Chou-Hang, he goes around with a massive cannon. Yes, <laughs> I know. But you know, the series is always like, see, I'm thinking of David Tennant as, I would never use this. I would never do this. And, and, and then well, you've maybe got... David Tennant's Doctor is repressing his traumas or something. <laughs> but... Um, he's, he's repressing his traumas from the last season when he picks up an enormous gun and aims it at a Dalek. He's got a very short yeah. memory. Two seasons. Three seasons. <laughs> he's got a very short memory, though. That's true. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, but it's Unless it was actually a hairdryer in Dalek. Yeah, maybe you it was. Know. You never know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's interesting that uh, he, he, the Doctor is a lot more relaxed about his companions using violence in the new adventures it's not really I mean it was occasionally again this is the slight ace problem coming up again I think Ross decapitates someone by accident yes she does I think in Code Fusion actually Um, but this I mean again there's the ace problem that occasionally he likes he doesn't mind using violence never never says oh that's great but but other times he's like no don't use violence Um, but once Ros and Chris come along again it's a lot more coherent he he does drive ace away by turning her boyfriend into a suicide bomber yes that's very true in Love and War (laughs) Um, so essentially the Doctor is Osama Bin Laden then, is what we're saying. I wouldn't want to make that statement on this. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's interesting that he's... A lo- again, this, this ties into... I mean, maybe this plays into people's idea of, of the Doctor being such a cold-hearted bastard in this, but he is a lot more relaxed about violence. To a degree, yeah, I think he is. Um, I, I wonder if he's, does he use Venusian karate on anyone? I don't think he does. The trouble is, the doctrine of violence is an interesting topic that you could tackle in a separate podcast because he's never been quite as clean and pure as he likes. I mean, I always say Tom Baker's doctor just went around punching people constantly. Well, Seeds of Doom. Seeds of Doom. Doom. And in other ones as well, he's always just like, ah, punch. Yes. I mean, you know, you've got <laughs> John Pertwee doing, you know, Venusian karate, but that's quite gentlemanly and almost, almost fun. But Tom Baker is just pure testosterone throwing fists <laughs> at people. He's just wailing on that dude. Yeah, basically, he wails <laughs> on people and he twists their neck, as we found out in Season Doom. So the Doctor and Violence is always it would, a, little, it would be quite a more complex actually, relationship. If there'd people. been a little cutaway in an episode where the, the, of the new series where David Tennant is sort of saying, oh, I would never use violence. And then, <laughs> and then you when, no one's, when no one's looking, he just smacks someone. <laughs> yeah. You'll never tell anyone, they'll never believe you. Um, oh God, that's going to a dark place. Um, <laughs> But, I mean, the Doctor and Violet's always been a more complex relationship. I mean, it's interesting that half the shit Colin Baker does and get his Doctor gets gets uh, in trouble for, or people couldn't name his Doctor for. Actually, Tom Baker did that stuff before. But people Tom Baker never tried to strangle his companion, to be fair. No, that, that's, that's true. But I'm thinking more things like Shockeye and the two Doctors. I mean, yeah. he kills him, he, the sixth Doctor kills him with cyanide, just like the fourth Doctor does to um, Philip Maddock in Brains of Morbius. Yes. Um, so long. So long. That, that's it. Um, you know, and, and, but people don't go, oh, the fourth Doctor, he's not very Doctorish, is he? You well, know. the Doctor is based... Actually, there's an interesting thing about the, the original series is that the Doctor is very much a sort of identical hero because it's a family adventure series. Yeah. He's the hero that you can sort of bolt into whichever adventure he's, he's yeah. having. So if he needs to be an action hero, he's an action hero for that adventure. If he needs to be an intellectual hero, yeah. he's an intellectual hero for that adventure. So... I think in uh, in the new adventures, actually, you start to see consistent characterisation for the Doctor, largely because they don't go into his head. Yeah. So you know he he 
you you actually see a degree of creating the Doctor as this this character with these sort of layers, the manipulative streak that has actually continued through into the new series. I think with Matt mm-hmm. Smith's Doctor. Yeah, I always think Matt Smith. I always think of Matt Smith's Doctor. Occasionally, oh, that's a bit seven. Yeah, in a good way. But yeah, you've got that darker. Well, a lot of Matt Smith's Doctor, uh, Matt Smith's adventures could have been written for the new adventures, or could have been. Mm. You know, he, he's doing things that are very new adventures ish. Do you think more Matt Smith's and um, David Tennant's? Or RTD's stuff? I mean, obviously RTD had human nature, obviously. I think but... so, yes, possibly, because I think David Tennant bases his character, I mean, I'm you know, assuming here, but I, I think David Tennant was a fan of the TV series growing mm. up. Russell C. Davis, obviously, he has a, you can see in photos, he has shelves full of the new adventures, um, and obviously he wrote one, so he's clearly being informed by it. But I think the. The, the Doctor's characterisation, as expressed by the actor, is probably more TV-related. I always think um, uh, David Tennant is far more influenced by Pertwee than anyone realises. Mm. I've always thought that. He's quite a Pertwee-esque Doctor in, in, in certain ways. But Well, uh, there's his big rant in some time strategy, isn't there? I would never use violence. <laughs> Cut to Tom Baker punching <laughs> someone in the face. Someone should really do that. Was it you who suggested that, actually, in... Um, we were talking about Journey's End and you said that when it's like this is what you turn your you'll see your true soul doctor and, and you should just cut to Colin Baker strangling Perry or something <laughs> and John Baker feeding <laughs> someone into a wood chip, chip, wood chip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, sorry guys um, uh, anyway I'm just looking at my notes I can't see anything else you want to add um, yeah, what was the, uh, wasn't there midway through the new adventures they were originally planning to regenerate the Doctor? Yes, you were mentioning this, and you said they were going to do it in a really odd way. Weird way. I believe, and I may be misremembering this, but I believe that the original plan was that Sylvester McCoy would step out the TARDIS onto a landmine, and then the TARDIS would give birth to him in this quite weird, Freudian, alien-style way. So, uh, he'd burst out of, out of Ace's chest? Something like that. Oh, okay, brilliant. Now, that's, that's weird. Would that have been actually uh, a bit like the Doctor walking out to hail of bullets? Something like that, yeah. I, and I think if you read some of the... I think some of the new adventures that came out around that time, like White Darkness, you actually see some allusions to it. The Doctor saying things like, oh, I see a change coming. Um, I may, again, maybe misremembering this because it has been about ten years since I read them. But... Um, and they were obviously sort of building up to that, and it never actually happened. I think it was going to be David Troughton, wasn't it? Yes, David Troughton, I think, was going to at least appear on the covers, you know, yeah. as, as, as the model for the, uh, Which the new Doctor. you can only imagine what would happen when we had the TV movie then. Oh, God, I think he'd have either regenerated back or he turned out... Actually, they, they almost had to get out in that, because if he wasn't regenerated the normal way... They could have said he wasn't the real Doctor. And yeah, the, the guy back. you've been reading about for the last sort of fifty <laughs> books. Yeah. It's not the real Doctor. Look, it's, it's, it'd have been a very comic book thing to go. Look, it, 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 the seventh Doctor has been in a coma this entire time. Yeah, with a single bound, he was free. <laughs> yes, but yeah, I, I think the one thing we haven't sort of touched on is the some some of the specifics of things that sort of turned up in the new series that are harking back to the new adventures. Um, I mean, obviously, there's human nature, which throws up the huge sort of continuity question of did they actually happen? But it's not an important. Well, basically, you can just say time war. Or in my head, you know, I read the books; they happened. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I always I, my my approach to continuity, and I, do, I I am planning on doing a special on on the continuity question. But basically, continuity is what you make it. If you want the new events to count, they count. If you don't, they don't. If not, time war, or he rewrites the universe every time he steps out the door to have a completely different history. You know, it's not important. Yes, and. 
The I do, I do quite like the idea of the Doctor having the same adventure twice and not noticing. And yes. I, I know, going, this seems really familiar, <laughs> but slightly more family-friendly. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, the continuity question is an interesting one, but the, the way I see it is that I have 60 more books of Doctor mm. Who than people who disregard them, so, you know. Mm. Yeah. Anything else? Uh... I think that's us pretty much done, actually. I mean, that's almost an hour. Jesus, this is is longer than we've ever done before. I feel like I'm cheating on Andy. Um, (laughs) I'm going to go and eat some cola nuts to wash away the taste of notes. (laughs) Yes. You were very keen to appear. Um, (laughs) No, anyway, folks. He's been plying me with wine. um, Yep, and you look lovely in that wig. So, uh, And that is the wine talking. So, anyway, folks, uh, contact details. You can email us at nakedscarf at gmail.com. You're on Twitter, at Naked Scarf. We have a Tumblr, nakedscarf.tumblr.com. You can find us on Facebook. It's a Facebook group. Come and join. Talk about Doctor Who. Hopefully Andy will be back soon, um, presuming her house hasn't been eaten by the worms from June or something. I don't know. There's some other housing crisis happening or something. Or blown up like that one in Essex. The one in Essex we just heard about today that blew itself up. And anyway, we'll be back soon with more, with, I think, a Doctor Who special on fashion which I know we promised you last week, but you got this instead, so that's good. So anyway, until next time, folks, take care.